The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JerMcCarthy74. On this week's show, our special VIP guests are members of the Skullvura So Hockey Munster Senior Hockey Schools Cup winning setup after the Cork team bridged a 48 year gap since last winning the prestigious trophy. Resident Cork's Red FM Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley is back on the bench to discuss all the latest one Formula One headlines, including Red Bull's 2023 car launch and much, much more. The Big Red Bench is all the aftermatch reaction from Cork's pulsating Lidl National League Division 1 clash with Dublin, including Emma Cleary, Katie Quirk and Sarah Leahy's post-match thoughts. And finally, we hear from Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson and regular Big Red Bench contributor Wendy Keenan, following another hectic weekend of provincial adult and underage women's club rugby action. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. I was delighted to be joined on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast by Cork School Skullvura's hockey team's head coach Dave Egner and co-captains Amy Nangle and Emily Nolan. The Cork School won the 2023 So Hockey Munster Senior Schools Hockey Cup for the first time in nearly half a century following an exciting 5-1 defeat of Regina Mundy in front of a packed attendance. Now on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast, we are absolutely delighted to be joined by this week's VIP guests, three uh, members of the Skull Vera School, who won the So Hockey Munster Senior Schoolgirls Hockey Cup uh, by defeating Regina Mundy 5-1 recently. Uh, delighted and thrilled to be joined by the coach, Dave Egner. Dave, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very good, Jared. Thanks for inviting us. Not at all. And we're also joined by co-captains, uh, Amy Nangle and Emily Nolan, who also join us. How are you, girls? Good, thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Absolutely. Delighted to have you. A big win for the school, Dave. Let's talk about the significance of that win, because it's one thing to win uh, such a prestigious trophy and a competition, but you hadn't won this uh, since 1975. So even more significance this time around. Uh, yes, sure. Yeah. So I think I, I'm coaching in the school probably about 14, 15 years, I think. Um, it's the first senior A final that we've got to. So to win it was uh, unbelievable. We kind of lost for words on the day. Um, it wasn't until we qualified for the final that we realised that the school hadn't last won until 1975. And I think the last time they were in a final before that was 1999. So to say that it was a a super feeling was kind of over-exaggerating a little bit, but um, it, 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 we were just kind of lost to words in the day from, from the point of view. It was, it was so good, really, yeah. And Dave, from your experience coaching in the school, what's different this year? What, what was it about this particular team? That uh, you managed to, you know, managed to do and achieve something so special. Um, I was thinking about that there recently, Joe. Like at the end of last season, we kind of decided we needed to step things up a little bit. Um, we were very unlucky last year to to, to lose in the semi final to a very good Crescent side, um, but we had won the league in the south. So, um, luckily a sponsor came on board this year with um EHF or EHF Twenty Nine Limited. Um, they give us a bit of a bit of funding, and with that funding, then we were able to bring in uh, Canis Kennedy, a sports psychologist, for all our junior and senior teams at the start of the year for two workshops, uh, a bit of mental training and game preparation. Then we also had a, a strength and conditioning coach during preseason. Um, with those little minor things really helped, but the main thing really was the players' attitude. Um, like they're a great group. You know, we asked them to take a bit more accountability for themselves, you know, increase their training time and attendance. And all of that stuff has really, really paid off this year, to be fair to the team. 
Yeah, and it's obvious. It's obvious from from the results and obviously from the success that that, that is the case. Before I hand it over to the two co-captains, uh, Dave, this is your last chance to tell me the truth about how easy a team they were to coach this year. Ooh. They're laughing. Uh, to, to, to be fair, Jared, to be fair, the, the team is excellent. Um, pretty much from, from first year training in school all the way up to the sixth years, I take kind of a slightly relaxed approach to coaching. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't push them very hard, but like from a warm-up point of view, they sort it out themselves. You know, we start them in day one. They do all this kind of stuff themselves. So we really, really push them to take accountability. Um, the captains then, we're, we're in contact then during training weeks to make sure who's coming to training. If they're not coming to training, is there a valid reason or are they, you know, just skipping training, et cetera. And over the years, this has really, really helped push the team forward. Um but there's also a great banter within the group. And this year, especially, like we've got a, a second year all the way up to the five, six years. So there's a great spirit within the entire school and the group. And it, it just comes out in the pitch in the training sessions, really. Yeah, and that's that's clearly evident. And you could see that in the celebrations as well um, from the live feed and from the social media and just the impact it seems to, a positive impact it seems to have had on the school. And congratulations to you, Dave, because we've congratulated the girls of winning it, but your involvement with the school for so long, it's a lovely achievement for you as well. Um, and congrats on that. Now let's turn to one of the two co-captains, Emily Nolan. What was it like to play in that cup final? Because there was over a thousand people there. Um. Well, I think from the get-go, we knew there was going to be a big crowd. So we were had forewarned ourselves and everyone was ready for it and just kind of if ignored, if you want to say it like that. But um, the support was unreal and all the school and the teachers and everything was behind us from even the get-go from the quarterfinal then into the semi, they were always behind us, which really helped. And for you, Amy, uh, to be part of such, you know, a really good and talented team, but obviously to get to the final is one thing, but to win it is quite different uh, or difficult. And Regina Mundy are a very, very good school just, and you know them well yourselves. It must have been lovely to be part of such a, a fantastic atmosphere. Yeah, no, it, it was amazing. Like, and you kind of almost dream about these moments when you come into school when you're younger. And like, it's always been kind of an aspiration of mine being a part of the school team. And I think the day was just kind of, even better than I could have than I could have imagined. Um, yeah, no, it was a great day, and it was great to celebrate with the girls and with Dave and everything. And Amy, was confidence building, you know, from the quarterfinals on, or from the start of the year? Did you kind of feel that this this team was a, this this was a special team, and there was a chance you could win this? I think the kind of shift this year in like mentality to kind of know that we're good enough to do it. I feel like in previous years we've had a bit of a doubt in ourselves, but. We knew this year that what we're capable of and what what team we do have the strengths that we bring and um yeah it was, it was obviously special and emily um what was the reaction like i mean immediately afterwards i mean it was obviously wild celebrations it was fantastic a lovely boost for the school yes it was i think at first we were all shocked we just didn't think it was true like we had come so far we had got we'd had a tough run into the final but then it all kicked in and we had the celebrations and it started getting real then when we came into school and saying we made history and it was just a great day for the school in general. Now, Emily, you went 1-0 up, but Regina Monday got it back to one all. But from then on, uh, your sister, is, uh, a couple of goals from your sister, put you back in, in uh, you know, a 3-1 ahead coming into the second, you know, into the, or into the latter periods of that final. Um, obviously with the noise and with the atmosphere, you know, it's one all, it's anybody's final. What was, you know, was it the fact that she had such a tough run in helped she, you know, in the latter stages of the final, just to stay calm and just to pick off the scores and keep going right to the end? Yeah, I think it did. Especially from the present game, we were 1-0 down and then with the last 
minute to go, we got a final goal. So that really helped and like never give up until the very until the final whistle. And um yeah. Yeah, certainly did. Um celebrations went on for quite a while. Uh Amy or no, yeah, I'll give you that one to you, Amy. Or, uh, <laughs> I was hoping you'd give that one to Emily. <laughs> But uh, lovely celebrations for family and for students to be there, but also for yourselves. I mean, you're, it's probably only a couple of days afterwards when you were hearing about the historical significance yeah. of not having won it since 75. I know that might mean anything to ye, but for the people that went before ye and the players, all the players in that school, I'd imagine you've heard quite a bit about it since. Yeah, we um, we even had some of the previous winners from 1975 at the game watching us and we got a picture with them at the end. And it was just a lovely atmosphere to see kind of the different generations from when we have last won it and like to kind of show how capable we are this year and what a team we have. Um, and then the celebrations were great. Like you couldn't really ask for much more after a final. <laughs> and, I as well. and I can't ask any more details, so I won't, but I, I get the picture <laughs> from the ball of Um Amy, can I also ask you just about your coach, Dave, uh, and he's still on the line, but how important he's been to this team, not just this year, but down through the years and to hockey within the school. Yeah, no, Dave, uh, Dave is a credit to the school. Like, since first year, he's been my coach, and School of Our Hockey wouldn't be the same without him. Um, the belief that he has in our team, like, I've always felt he's felt so uh, like strong in the team, and he's built us into what we are today. Like, the team isn't the same like we've been for the last few years. It's really, like, the momentum has pushed through, and I think his dedication to the Hockey in the school is is amazing, and yeah, we couldn't do without him. So, yeah. very well said. I, I presume you agree with that, Emily, and that Dave's hard work behind <laughs> the scenes clearly paid off this year. Yes, uh, people don't know how much work he's put in behind the scenes, and he's the one that organizes all the matches, organizes all the buses, and gets us from A to B in times and everything. So he really is one of them. Is a main part. No, Dave, if that isn't grounds for, you know, getting off homework for about a week, I don't know what is. But uh, clearly the team responded to you this year and have been responding over last year's, but particularly this year. But as you said, putting the onus back on them for, for girls so young um, and teaching those responsibilities, these are key skills that they're going to take into their senior hockey careers, you would hope. Yeah, they definitely are. Um, like these girls, as I said, they're they're a fantastic bunch of players, like, they pretty much do do most of the work for me. Like, and when they come back in at half time and quarter time, you know, there's a few of them when they really want to speak up, they speak up, and everything they say is you know perfectly coherent. It makes sense from the game point of view, so it really shows their their maturity level. And like a lot of these girls, I think we look, we've eighteen people in the squad, and there's probably there's a few underage internationals there, and there's I think it's a twelve or thirteen or current monster players from under sixteens to eighteens to twenty ones. So like, there's a great bit of experience throughout this squad. And it really shows then when they actually come out on the pitch and, you know, just to come back in for little chats at halftime, you know, they'll notice a lot more stuff on the pitch that I won't see. And then I'll see some things that they don't see. So we work really, really well together from that point of view. Can I ask you, Dave, did the did the 48 year gap play in your mind at all coming into this or was it just get them into the final and prepare as best as we possibly can? For me personally, Jar, is it? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I genuinely don't think the final had anything to do with that from, from our point of view. It was um, like, you know, we always say like that, you know, it's, it's a one big cup run. And as, as Emily pointed out there, like we had a, a really epic battle against Crescent in the quarterfinal. You know, we were pretty much neck and neck. They, they went ahead first. We equalized and then we got them on shuttles in the end through a fantastic performance with our, by our goalkeeper. 
Um, then the semi-final was much the same. You know, we had a fantastic start, played really well for maybe 60, 70% of the game. And then just kind of took our foot off the gas a little bit. And to be fair to San Angeles, they really stepped it up and, you know, we should have ultimately nearly lost that game in the end. Um, but thankfully we came through again, once again on shuttles. So all of this kind of just tied in to bring, um, I suppose just to, 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 to cement what Amy said there really, but it's, it's this one big cup run for us. You know, the actual, the history of it is really irrelevant from my point of view to, from this to this year and obviously we we'll look back on it now and as Amy pointed out there were some members of the 1975 squad there on the day and I had a couple of email conversations with them um, with one or two of their players we met them on the day it was fantastic but you no know, ultimately you know this was about you know the 2023 cup run for us really what will it do Dave for the school in terms of boosting hockey's profile um, I think it'll just push it on further again, Ger. Like t- to be fair, the the school has been fantastic at at backing us recently. Um, you know, there's there's been a change, I suppose, in the last kind of eight or nine, ten years in the school. We've we've really pushed on forward. I think like the school might be I think it's like five or six hundred pupils, and we've got you know between two and three hundred of them play hockey. So hockey's a massive sport within the school. Like the, the school itself wasn't really renowned as a hockey playing school until maybe five or six years ago, but we've really pushed from being kind of also runs to being like the favourites for competitions now and if not the favourite then we're one of two or three and that goes all the way from first years to the minors juniors up to the senior A's and even with our our kind of B and C teams as well like there's a couple more cup semi-finals coming up now where we're in the quarterfinals of two or three more of these cups already so um, but the school itself has really helped us you know they've they've pushed for extra fundraising first you know changing venue bring it up to, to Cork Harlequins here we've got our own shed it just makes it all a bit more professional. We, it's always the same place. You know, we've got the same place, you have the same gear and it's just really helping the skill. Excellent stuff. Um, Emily, if I could come back to you, um, you really did put your coach through it this year. You did it the hard, hardest possible way to get to the final and actually win it. But as part of that, you now go forward to the Kate Russell All-Ireland Tournament, which is even more prestigious. That's going to be held in Cork and in Hardgrind. You must be looking forward to that. So how are preparations going? Um, good, we're getting all set. It's going to be a great few d- days um, with um, representing our school and as well as that monster. You're excited about it. Yes, <laughs> we're excited about it and there's a lot of prep to go into it now. The next few weeks um, in the month, the early March to get ready for teams that we haven't come up against ever before. Coming up against Kilkenny before, but no one else. So it will be, be an exciting dates for us yeah it certainly will same for you Amy I mean uh, a lot of work to go in as Emily has correctly pointed out there between now and then but the excitement of representing your school and Munster in an All-Ireland tournament like the Kate Russell is something to look forward to yeah no it's very very exciting for the team and everyone is very much looking forward to it but I think it's one of those things where even though it's a tournament that I don't think any of us will ever experience again it's also just we're going to have to think of it as just another game you know like same as the final, same as the semi-final, everything has to just be another game because otherwise you'll just get yourself stressed out <laughs> like I do. <laughs> so yeah, we're very, very excited, but we know we know what we're there to do and that's going to be our main priority. Well, speaking of stress, um, the fact, Amy, that you play for Harlequins and Emily plays for Ashton, two fine clubs <laughs> in Cork, you're about to face each other uh, in the coming week, if not further. So Amy, will you be holding back on, on that or will you be just... <laughs> Amy will I won't yeah I, I, I tend to hold back but Emily Emily goes full throttle 
Um, your wincing coach on the camera here uh, is probably saying hopefully that there'll be no injuries picked up between now and the Cade Russell but uh, <laughs> we wish you well in that particular game and Dave just to finish obviously there's a bit of work to be done between now and the Cade Russell but the momentum you've gained and the success that you've had you'll be hoping just to represent the school and represent your province as best as you possibly can and, and just take it as it comes yeah certainly like we've we haven't played now since the cup final and uh, the, the, the girls are there and they're in the middle of their freeze at the moment so training will be a little kind of bit relaxed now for the next week um, but once the freeze are over, midterm is pushing on. These girls will be going at it at full belts. Um, like we have our the remainder of the league campaign to to fill in between now and the Kate Russell, which brings us up against the three three teams that we've already played in the cup round. So, you know, we have to play Regina Monday again, Angela's again, and Crescent. And there's no doubt that those three teams are going to be gunning to come back at us. So we've got excellent preparation for that. Um, as I said, then, like, you know, it's it's four games over the cross of two days. So it's pretty much like a mini Interpro series like they would have been years ago. Um, So from a, you know, fitness point of view, squad management point of view, like it, it's all new to us and the girls. But, you know, there's no doubt they're going to leave nothing on the pitch behind them because this is the home venue. We're currently undefeated here. You know, we're, we're going to put up a good show, definitely. A rousing speech, if ever I heard it from the coach to his players. Well, listen, on behalf of everybody here at Cork Start FM and Big Red Bench, and especially everybody here on the Women in Sport podcast, we're absolutely thrilled and delighted that you've won this year's So Hockey Munster Senior Schoolgirls Hockey Cup and the manner in which you've did it, you've certainly earned it. We wish you all the best in the Kate Russell tournament and we will touch base with you, if not before, but certainly after that as well. But for now, Dave Egner, Amy Nangle and Emily Nolan, thank you very, very much for joining us on this week's Women in Sport podcast and all the best. Thanks for having us. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. The Big Red Bench was in Parky Ring for the last Bank Holiday Monday's pulsating Lidl LGFA National League Division 1 clash between Cork and Dublin. Cork came from 10 points down at the interval to draw level and then edge in front before two late Carlo Rowe frees snatched victory for the Dubs 4-11 to 3-15. After the game, I got both managers, Cork Shane Ronane and Dublin's Mick Bones, reactions. But first, here are Cork players Emma Cleary, Katie Quirk and Sarah Leahy talking about a cracking game played out in front of a huge attendance. Okay, Sarah, not the result we would have wanted necessarily on the day itself, but a really good stirring second half performance. Carter Rose late freeze winning it for Dublin, but considering the deficit at half time, you must be very pleased with that second half performance. Absolutely. I think coming in at the second half, um, inside we just had a good look at ourselves and we were like, it's just not good enough. Um, so we were happy with the turnaround we had and I think it showed great character. Some of the young girls that came on, Kate Redmond, Breed, obviously, who's been here for a good while. They all did brilliant when they came on and I think we're going away satisfied with the second half, but we need to have a good look at ourselves um, because that can't happen again. Yeah, disappointing to concede four goals in the first half. It is Dublin, it is Hannah Tyrrell, they're a very, very good outfit, you know all about them, but you, you you saw the difference in the second half. And does the fact that so many young players, as you said, got that experience today, that's really going to tell? Absolutely, I think the the young girls on the panel really showed up today, and they bring so much energy, and I think games like this will really stand to them. Um, they all showed great character, I think we're really proud of the girls who came on, and uh, the attitude we had for the second half, I think it'll stand to us going forward, hopefully now. Yeah, because it's been three tough tests already so far this year. You get a bit of a break now before the next game and going up to Galway. Great to see such a big crowd here as well today shouting you on. Absolutely, yeah. That makes all the difference there. Just, you know, the girls and the, everyone on the sideline um, made a huge impact in the second half. Um, you know, when little things happen, you hear a cheer in the sideline. It makes such a big difference. And I think that uh, really helped us in the second half, thank God. 
And just finally, like Cork, it's a, it's, a, it's a different team this year. There's a lot of new players that have come in. You're still in transition, but this league is really going to bring you on before the real business starts. Yeah, I think yeah, the the league is a great opportunity for us to, you know, try tons of strategies, try lots of new players, and I think the the transitional period that people talk about, you know, the younger players coming up, they just they prove themselves today. A lot of them have huge experience, minor and underage, and they come on and they're all confident and they really prove themselves when we come on. So it's a great age demographic, um, and I think the league will really uh, be a good opportunity to try everyone. Excellent stuff. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Derek. Thanks a million. Uh, Katie Quirk, not the result Cork were looking for, but a really good second half performance. Uh, put it up to Dublin, got back from 10 points down. Disappointing as I said with the result, but a lot to build on. Yeah, definitely. Um, like we knew we were disappointed at half time with um, the last 15 minutes there, the first half, but um, we kind of regrouped a little bit at half time and we said, look, it's put the head down now and um, just work hard. And look, we kind of came around and did full circle and um, we've this week off now so we'll regroup again and we've um, a couple of games to be working on it Does it help this year that there's so many extra league matches you know you only had three games last year but no the fact that there's six or seven games you've time to work on things and get better at them Yeah definitely and even like there's so many games now and they're one after the other like it is kind of hard on the body but um, like we've a lot of things we need to practice and try to implement in games and um uh, I suppose game practices where you're going to see if they work or not and we have that chance now to push on and see what happens in the next few weeks And just finally for yourself you're flying it up front at the moment good to see you playing so well and so consistently got the, the equaliser last week above in Kilkenny and did well again today you must be pleased with you how, how it's going for you so far this year? Yeah, no it's grand um, like you said the, it's all kind of game practice and like I was happy now the, the last two days so um, hopefully look a good run of form we'll keep going and we'll see how it goes we hope so too. Thanks very much, Katie. Thanks, man. Uh, Emma, obviously disappointment at losing to Dublin, but a lot to take out of that performance, uh, especially against such a good side like Dublin. Yeah, I suppose like we knew coming here today it was going to be tough, and I think we did play some excellent football. We have the six or seven games, um, we can learn a lot more by playing matches. Um, but look, we are disappointed, and I suppose we couldn't we could have won that there in the end. I suppose that's the disappointing thing. But look, it's only February yet, and hopefully there'll be more good days to come. Yeah, and there's a lot of good opposition to come as well. Heading up to Galway, know it won't be easy, but you've got the experience of these three games under the belt and players, younger players who are new to the squad are getting a lot of good experience. Yeah, definitely, and I suppose it's just giving those younger girls a bit of confidence and maybe that's where we lacked a bit of times in the second 15 minutes mm. to, to just drive it on into for the full 60 minutes, so hopefully we can do that now for the rest of the league. Excellent stuff. Are you looking forward to that trip up to Dublin? Bit of a break now as well, which is no harm. Yeah, we have a week off next week, so I suppose we'll we'll work away at training now this week and hopefully get a, get a good trip up to Galway, I think, next. Excellent stuff. Best luck on that. Thanks a million. OK, Sharon, and disappointing to lose, but the manner in which you came back in the third quarter having been 10 points down, disappointing second quarter, but the manner in which you came back and the fact so many young players out in that pitch today got a taste of what it's like to take on a team like Dublin. There's so many positives to still take out of that game. Yeah, I suppose. Look, it was there was a we had a very good first five minutes, first fifteen, and the and obviously the second half, um, a meltdown there in the, in, 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 the, in the fifteen minutes for half time. But yeah, look, there's always a positive take out of it. Uh, that that second half display, you know, when they just threw off the shackles and went for it, and they they worked extremely hard and did I suppose did all the things we spoke about before the game. Um, which we were going very well at for the first 15. We would have been very happy as, as a management the way we were playing. And then we just we had a bit of a meltdown. And I think, you know, I suppose we need to sort that out. But there is loads of positives about it. Yeah, Mick Bowen mentioned as well, the big bonus for him and probably for you as well, is there's more league games this year to work on things. Last year was only like three games and you were done and you were straight into the championship. You've got more time and a bit of a break now to the Galway game too. 
Yeah, look, I think there's those things we need to work on and, and things need to get right. And I suppose, uh, you know, we've been very disappointed with some aspects. But like as I said, like the way they play football, they played in the second half, they probably actually nearly deserve to win it probably. And I suppose over the f- course of 60 minutes, apart from that 15-minute spell, you know, I thought we had dominated the game. We dominated the first quarter. Uh, probably should have been more ahead, missed a couple of goal chances. Dublin get their first goal chance goal. And, uh, you know, t- and things kind of fell apart a bit. And I suppose, look, that's something we need to look at. It happened last year against um, against Dublin above in Crow Park and happened against me the previous year. Uh, you know, in Crow Park. So, when something goes wrong, we need to be able to fix it quicker. Um, real positive, Katie Quirk and Libby Coppinger, two of your standout forwards. Now everybody played well today, but the two of them got vital scores, and they've been scoring regularly, which is important heading into the championship. Yeah, look, there was they really played well. They stood up in the second half, and I suppose they they, they ran at them. And you know, I think we 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 just have lots of options now. And I think, and uh, you know, I think the players now know that uh, you know how hard it is senior senior football, and the younger players are certainly learning that. Like, and we're getting great game time into all these people then as well. And you know, people coming off the bench, Kate Redmond, today we know today, uh, you know, brilliant goal from Orkala. And you know, Anna Ryan getting a lot of getting time on the on the pitch. Like, and I think, look, that'll only that's only bodes well for the future, I suppose. But we suppose we just have to, I suppose, start backing it up and not um, not having to give ourselves uh, mountains to climb like we did. But look, I'm very proud of what they did in the second half. Excellent stuff. We'll see you above and God bless. Best luck. Thanks, Joe. I was delighted to be joined here by Dublin's manager Mick Bourne following his side's victory in today's Lidl National League Division One clash down here in Cork. First of all, Mick, congratulations. Well on top in the first half. You must have been delighted with that performance in the first 30 minutes. Four goals in control. And then when Cork came back at you, you still had enough guts and experience to get over the line in the end. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Um, we started off, we were poor. We stood off them and they caused all kinds of trouble to us. And then when we squeezed up on them, put them under pressure, we found ourselves with a lot of really good opportunities uh, I thought we did really well at that period of time. Very disappointing start to the second half. Uh, and, you know, probably unlucky with the first goal. I think it was a fisted effort in and kind of dropped into the net. If it wasn't touched, it wouldn't have counted. But all of a sudden, and we know this, energy starts to swing the other way. And it nearly seemed very difficult to stop it. Um, but in fairness, they came back, they answered it. And... Uh, as you say, I, we we would have been really happy with the finish and the you know the way they they came back in that four or five minute period because that game could have easily gone away from us. Um, it's been a kind of topsy turvy league for all the cl- all the counties so far this year. Teams are still trying to start themselves out. Players are coming onto the panel, but do you find this time of the year invaluable for Dublin that you're learning about the players that are coming in and some of the more established players are being put under pressure? Well, I'll put it to you a different way. The last two years under COVID you know, with three National League games was of no benefit and it was very difficult to extend your panel because you're you're not giving them game time and realistically when you've only three National League games you're under pressure to win, to just, you know, to to have any opportunity to make the top four. Well, here, so be it, even if you don't get to the top four situation, you've at least had seven National League games. So you're in a position to give people lots of game time. So... That makes it much easier during the week because if you're carrot for you know for to swing for people, so it is a massive knock-on effect on a squad. Um, the boost, just finally, the boost of the victory coming away from Cork will give you and this team heading into your next outing. Look, as I said already, the, you know, three hours down the road, it's an awful lot easier a journey when you have points in the bike. And the week after it, obviously, there's energy in the group. We had a tough week last week coming away from Tume, so you know, a, a double defeat wouldn't have been wouldn't have been pleasant for us. So it's you know, to come to Cork at any stage and get points is a difficult assignment. So we're delighted. Congratulations, we'll see you again for the years out. You will indeed. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers. The 
Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Resident Cork's Red FM F1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley is back on the Big Red Bench to discuss Red Bull's underwhelming 2023 Formula One car launch, the possible implications of Red Bull and the Ford Motor Company's upcoming engine partnership, Mick Schumacher adding a McLaren reserve driver role to his responsibilities at Mercedes, and news of Mercedes's recent testing at Circuit Paul Ricard in France. Now, it's that time of the week again when we talk Formula One with our resident Corkshire FM Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, who joins me on the line. Sarah, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. On the countdown now, back to the season, we're like three weeks out just over it. So it's very exciting times. Yes, indeed it is. And I cannot wait for it. I cannot wait for Ferrari to do all those mad things again in the pit lane and try and get the cars <laughs> home. We'll talk about that in due course. Before we get into this week's uh, talking, and there's lots to talk about, something we touched on last week was um, the FIA president getting into a lot of trouble for some of the things that he had said and some of the things that he had been reportedly had uh, emailed and things like that. We have a follow-up on that now this week. Yeah, so some senior folks within the F1 teams themselves have kind of spoken out against Mohammed bin Salayim and his sort of recent misbehaviour, but only on condition of anonymity. Uh, which kind of gets my goat a little bit um, because I think they're big enough and bold enough to to speak out properly. But um, in truth, the F1 teams themselves actually don't have power over who the FIA president is. But there is, uh, at the same time, there's a rumor that some of the F1 member clubs are going to hold a vote of no confidence in him, um, which would essentially, because they don't have the the power to have like a huge say essentially it's a political statement saying we're really not happy with this person and we don't approve what they're doing and I think at least it would represent some sort of counter statement against what's been going on with him because it he, he's kind of becoming really bad for the sport at this point and I think somebody is going to have to say something in a sort of more meaningful way than okay I'll complain about him but don't print my name in the article uh, which I think is a little bit cowardly. Yeah, it is. It really is. But are you surprised with the politics that goes on between the FIA in the background? It's it's, it's getting we're, we're, something we touched on last week. It's very like FIFA. It seems to be like all worldwide organizations mm. that power is the most important thing and not the actual sport that they've been elected in there to look after should be for. But look, it's I suppose it's a step in the right direction considering the allegations that are against this guy, mm. Al Sulmain. So hopefully, hopefully we'll have more on it again next week, uh, Sarah. But it, look, at least if somebody's willing to put these allegations in black and white, even though on, on, because I want to remain anonymous for whatever reasons, it's not ideal, but I would imagine you'd agree that, look, it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah, hopefully we'll we'll get something a bit more kind of concrete in the next couple of weeks, if not months. Yes. And in the meantime, we have lots of positive things to talk about and none more so than the Red Bull car launch, which took, which took place in New York City. Uh, Mm -hmm. recently and I know you were watching a lot of that and on social media but it wasn't the car launch and the excitement that we were expecting why not I think because they've sort of either forgotten who the real audience is and what they want or who we think is the real audience is not who they're targeting i.e it's not Formula One fans that they're targeting here they want to get their brand partners names out there and they want you know all of these all of these, I suppose, financial, the financial side of things and sponsorships, which is, you know, massively important to, to keeping Furlow One running. They want to get all that out there. And they did have a really big announcement outside of the car itself, which was the partnership with Ford. So the news had actually leaked before the event, 
but they sort of provided a lot more information at the launch event itself and essentially Ford is going to power Red Bull from 2026 onwards and also they're going to provide uh, powertrains to AlphaTauri which is obviously the the sister team of Red Bull and it's it's really interesting Ford hasn't been in Formula 1 since the early 2000s and they're obviously an American manufacturer so given the huge push into the American market that has been happening in Formula 1 in the last couple of years I don't think anyone's particularly surprised but I think it's still, you know, it's 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 a landmark brand to bring back into the sport. So it was definitely interesting to to see that happen. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the fact that they leaked the Ford announcement before the car launch took the sheen, pardon the pun, off the whole launch itself. Car looks nice, apart from the guy walking around with the squiggle suit on him. I don't know what that was about. But then I'm I'm old. I don't know who these young TikTok uh, superstars are. Um, Daniel Ricciardo. Ricardo, sorry, was um, was present, and I know how much you, um, how much, what, what respect you have for him as a driver. Mm. Um, good to see him there, and he's in the background and he's hovering. So who knows what the future might hold for him? But on the whole, like I mean, we've seen new engine suppliers come in, you know, well-known engine suppliers, Honda, and the likes of this come in, and it takes time to get up to speed. Literally. Uh, with the people that are at the front of the of the grid, you know, irrespective of when Ford come in, they're gonna hit. They're gonna have to hit the ground running if Red Bull want to remain competitive. So it's a big change from a winning formula. Um, but it, it, as you said, I suppose the American tie-in seems to be the big thing here. The Ford want in, mm-hmm. and they're obviously going to put the money in. Or Red Bull probably wouldn't even be looking at them. But is there is there potential here for while this is happening that other teams uh, might be able to make uh, might, might might be able to make use of all this? Yeah, absolutely. There's a number of other brands and manufacturers that are in discussion as well. You know, for Audi, for example, is another big one that people would be very familiar with, obviously a, a European brand rather than an American one. But I think it's it's just becoming a bit more common now. I'm not sure whether it's for financial reasons or, you know, what the big pull is with switching manufacturers. I think, as you said, things don't always work out well at the beginning um you know red bull's partnership with honda is actually a really good example of that Mm. things were not good at all at the beginning and actually only towards the very end of the relationship after they had already decided that it was going to be the contract was going to be terminated did things start to really turn around so i think that's a big thing to remember and i'm sure given that we're in 2023 now and this partnership has been announced to launch in three years time there's going to be a ton of testing is going to happen. Um, but the fact is that they can't replicate, you know, the wear and tear of a Formula One race uh, in testing to the extent they would like. So it is a gamble. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. But with Ford, as you said, and with the American market and with the money that the the the, the budget that they probably have, I mean, Red Bull ain't doing this to drop down the, the, the grid for too long. So it's going to be fascinating to see it even in three years. Time. But it's good to see the first of the cars launched as well. I think there was a bit of excitement, as you said, but it was let down by that whole announcement and people were talking about that and not the car. even. And it looks very, very like the 2022 car, something you mentioned. So <laughs> yeah. if it ain't broke, but you know better than I ever will, you've got to keep evolving if you want to stay ahead at the front of the grid. And it doesn't sound like they've done that. Well, it's been interesting because the Haas car also looks very similar, as does the Williams, which just launched uh, this past weekend. And I think, I don't know, I I sort of reserve judgment, especially after last year with these car launches. I put them in air quotes. People can't see me, but I'm I'm air quoting. You are, I can confirm. Because um, the cars that we saw at the launches last year in particular and the ones that showed up on the grid 
at the first race were vastly different. Um, There's myriad reasons for that, but, you know, I think we'll have to kind of reserve judgment for a little bit longer until Bahrain and see what these cars look like when they come out of the paddock. Yes, indeed. It's it, it's the glass and the glamour that has dazzled my eyes already. And I'm just so excited <laughs> about the Formula One season coming back. That's what they were hoping for, sure. <laughs> As usual, they get, the, they, they get the idiot guys at the back row. So they've got me. But uh, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see that first grid and how they go. And as we said, I'm sure we're going to be talking about Red Bull and Ford quite a lot over the next year or two and how things go with that. We'll move on. Schumacher adds McLaren Reserve dr- driver role to his responsibilities at Mercedes. Please explain this headline, Sarah McKenzie. Yes. So uh, as we know, um, Mick Schumacher had a really tough year last year with Haas and he unfortunately did end up losing his seat in that team. But Mercedes kind of picked him up pretty quickly as their reserve driver for George Russell and Lewis Hamilton. And now this does happen actually quite often, but now there is a joint agreement where he's also going to be reserve driver for McLaren. So this is something that it's a massive benefit, to be honest, for those drivers, because it gives them, it doubles their chance of actually getting into a car, um, whether it's a Mercedes or a McLaren. And, you know, I mean, Nick DeVries, for example, was floating around a number of different teams last year and ended up getting a seat because he drove in place of Alex Albon at the Italian Grand Prix and scored points. So, this is it's a legitimate, you know, route back into a Formula One team and kind of a, a first string seat for him. So I'm really happy for him. I hope he does get out there at some point and see some live action because I think um I think he does have he does have what it takes. He just hasn't really got the right car underneath him to date. Yeah, I was going to counter that by asking one last question on that. Does he deserve this? Because there's quite a lot of talent out there at the moment. Is it like, did he do enough to even get this role? Or do you think, and if he does get the chance, I mean, has he got the, he obviously has the skills and you said you need the skill and the car mm. and you need the, you need the pit lane all working together. But does he deserve this role? I think he does, to be honest. I think he, he had a tough couple of years as far as teammates even at Haas. Like, the you know, it, it wasn't ideal for him. And I think... There was so there was so much talk, whether positive or negative, about whoever was in the other car. That does become difficult. You know, you can kind of you can brush it off, but it does become difficult. And I think his Toto Wolf mentioned this actually during the week. His abilities on the way into Formula One were very clear, and that doesn't kind of just go away unless you somehow you somehow make it on on luck, which is very unlikely. And I think. You know, there's three rookies on the grid this year, which is a lot. And, you know, unfortunately, he that means he wasn't able to retain uh, a seat. But yeah, I do think he deserves it. And I think hopefully if he does get on, you know, on the track with some track action, I think he will be able to take advantage of that because this is like your reserve driver. You only get one, two shots probably at this. You have to really, you know, take the bull by the horns. Indeed you do. We wish him well on that. It's interesting to see how that will go. Uh, Schumacher, again, as we said, getting the reserve driver role for uh, responsibilities for Mercedes heading into the new season. And we'll see if we see Mick Schumacher possibly on a racetrack at some point for the end of the year. May not be with Mercedes, as you said, might be with another team, but he's in the best position he can be for that scenario mm. to, to happen. Our final point uh, is still with Mercedes and the testing that began in France at Circuit Paul Ricard. Tell us about this, uh, Sarah McKenzie Foley. Yeah, so they've started doing some Pirelli tyre testing. Uh, Unfortunately for George and Lewis, it meant that they had to take another look at the W13, which I'm sure they were hoping to never see again. (laughs) Um, But the W14 is not going to launch 
until February 15th. So obviously they didn't want to give anything away by putting them out in that car. Um, they have said that they are going quote unquote all in on 2023 is what Mercedes have said. And I think to be honest, there's going to be a huge push this year based on the momentum that they were able to build up at the end of last year when they started to figure out what was really going wrong. And I think there's going to be a, a sort of dual push where they're recognizing the talent and the potential of George, but they also genuinely really, really want to get Lewis that eighth title. And I think there's going to be a massive push this year. They're going to hope that they'll have made up the difference um, to Red Bull and that they can sort of be more consistent than Ferrari. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that plays out. Being more consistent than Ferrari will not be an issue, I don't think, <laughs> unless Ferrari come up with something really spectacular between now and the first uh, GP at Bahrain. But it is interesting what you say, that they're going all in. Um, it, co- it costs a lot of money to go all in and there's budgets. But I think you're right in that they had so many problems with the W13 last year. Like if, if they had a pretty stable car, a more stable car than what they had, who knows? Um, and the idea as well that perhaps Red Bull haven't got the enhancements or moved on just yet um, as to what people might have expected. This is it for uh, your favorite Formula One driver, though, is it not? I mean, if we uh, is this his final year? I mean, do we do we do we think we're going to see, you know, somebody that's given so much to Formula One? He owes it nothing, you know, really. No, but I think the hint potentially just to finish up of a of a Formula One World Championship uh, in so, in a competitive car against perhaps not as competitive you know, grid, uh, Formula One grid leaders, that's obviously brought him back for another year, Lewis Hamilton, but can he get it done this year? And if he doesn't get it done, Sarah, is that it? I don't think it is it, um, at least not based on what he said publicly. Um, both he and Toto Wolff have kind of said they've thrown like another five years. They've kind of thrown that around. I don't necessarily think that he would continue on for five years, um, but I definitely do feel that there is going to be a massive push behind this this year and you know Red Bull are already complaining that the budget cap is preventing them from doing all the things that they would like to do for this coming season so if that's already an issue for them then everyone else needs to be thinking okay we have to keep pushing and like whatever envelope we have left we need to go as they say all in I think this is this could be it for Lewis I do think Absolutely, if he were to win it this year, he would retire. He has said recently that he wants to go out on top. Um, and I think that that is, you know, naturally every every great sports person wants to avoid the Cristiano Ronaldo scenario. And oh, I think God. that uh, <laughs> I think that Lewis is going to be trying his absolute best and, and Mercedes is going to be trying their best to, to pull that off for him this year. Yes, it's one of the main storylines that we're going to talk about coming into the season. I think just on the eve of the season, our preview show is, you know, where is Lewis Hamilton, where are Mercedes? We might get a little bit better idea between the testing between now and then. We might see some times that might indicate that that's the case. But as you said, until we get to the first grid, until the first qualifying session, we won't know how fast this new Red Bull mm-hmm. is. Um, and that's what we're all looking forward to and hoping for. But I do think this could be Hamilton's year if he gets a, a stable car. I think the pit crew is there. I think the, the brains are there to get him that Formula 1 and he's certainly got the skills still to do it it will require closing the gap mm. on Red Bull an awful lot more than they were last year but I think there's certainly enough experience within Mercedes and Toto Wolff I think I believe him I agree with you I think I, I believe Toto when he says he wants to do everything he can for Hamilton considering what he's done 
from Absolutely. Richard Lewis. Uh, and it would be nice to think that he'll, you know, drive off into the sunset with another Formula One title, but I don't think it works like that in Formula One, Sarah. I'm sorry. <laughs> out of work of it's too good to be true. Sometimes it is. But look, isn't that what we're here for? I'm, you're here for the Formula One and the technical side of it. I'm here for the drama and the drive to survive. <laughs> Listen, uh, as ever, thanks for another informed update on what's happening off the track. Where can we find you on social media between now and our next podcast? Yeah, I've actually just put out my first YouTube video of the year um, last Thursday. So if folks go and check me out, I'm on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie F1. It's all about the three rookies that are coming onto the grid this year. So you can find out a bit more about them there. Excellent stuff. Sarah McKenzie Foley, uh, Cork Shred FM's resident Formula One expert. Thank you once again for joining us here on the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, sir. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is back on the Big Red Bench to discuss another hectic weekend of provincial, adult and underage women's club rugby. We have news of women's AIL Cup victories for Munster Club's Ballancolic and UL Bohemians, updates on all of last weekend's Munster Women's Rugby Club adult and under-18 results, special focus on recent Munster Women's Rugby Club under-14 and under-16 performances, we also have news of Irish Women's Rugby's Combined Province's latest victory and Thursday night's Munster Rugby Dinner at the Intercontinental Hotel in Dublin. Yet another busy week in Munster Women's Rugby. When isn't there a busy week in Munster Women's Rugby in the middle of the domestic and uh, interprovincial and soon to be international series? Once again, we're delighted to have Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan on here on the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast to take us through all the headlines. Wendy, you're very welcome back. How are you? I'm great, Jared. Thanks very much. Good to hear from you again. Uh, from you again. We got a good reaction to last weekend and Claude O'Halloran. Uh, great interview with her and um, very, very positive reaction as well from a lot of people getting in touch with us. So great to hear from Claude. Hopefully we'll hear from her again before the end of the season. So thank you for helping arrange that. There's lots to get through, <laughs> funnily enough. And let's start with the WAIL Cup and some positive news for the two Munster clubs, Balancolic and UL Bohemians. Yeah, delighted. Now we've had two wins um, for both our Munster teams. This was played a little bit different this year. The structure is slightly different because we have players missing for the combined provinces. And then there's going to be, of course, players missing for sevens and players missing um, for the international matches. So it's more of like a league format, even though it's the, the AL Cup. So UL, UL Bowles defeated Cook 29-12. And I'm actually delighted for Ballancolic. They've defeated Setonians 15-10. You know, they've taken some hammering over the past couple of months in terms of their scores. So um, I'd say they're still celebrating. Yes, and deservedly so, yeah. as you said. We've been following him like it's the first year, like getting getting this thing, getting a club together on a right footing takes time. Unfortunately, it requires a lot of patience. But there's too many good people in Balancolic and UL Bowes as well, to be fair to them, um, yeah. involved for this not to be a success eventually down the line. Yeah, and you know, they're investing a lot of money, I suppose, in supporting the women's game. You know what I mean? They've great plans in place. They're looking at the development plans. They've gone into all the local schools. They're, you know what I mean? It's just trying to get the resources and the coaches, I suppose, to you know to get out there and help them with all of this. Um, and they do, I just should mention, they have do have a new coaching team now as of 2023. So Mike Petman has come in as the head coach there. So he's been, um, I suppose the girls have been put through their paces over the past couple of weeks. They've no rest over Christmas, I'm sure. Um, and look, he'll be delighted um, to see the first win on the road there for the girls. Absolutely. And two great results for both clubs. Well done, Balancolic and Bohemians. Hopefully we'll have some more positive results in the coming weeks, but never an easy, there's no easy games, cliche alert, as he said, in any of the sports, especially in WIL Cup. So well done to both. Now, plenty of news as well coming from the adult competitions throughout the province as well over the past weekend. Yeah, so some of the results that we have for you in the Divisional Cup. 
So Shannon LIT um, defeated Dolphin. And I'm sure Dolphin will be devastated because they'd won every match um, that they'd played so far. So the score there was 31-21, uh, so just 10 points the difference. And Waterpark were defeated by UL Bowl seconds. And as we know, that UL Bowl seconds are absolutely flying at this season, you know, having won the, the Senior Cup and um, I suppose defeating everybody so far in the league. So um, I'm sure they're going all, all guns blazing for everything that they can win this season. Um, we did have our bowl competition as well. So Ballon Colic seconds uh, defeated Bantry there in close match, 19-15. And Thurless defeated Middleton. Big score there, 67-0. You know, a lot of experience in that Thurless team and that first year for their Middleton. Um, but they look, they'll have learned from that. Um, so look, next weekend, we'll be looking forward to some quarterfinal matches. So um, we'll have Dolphin versus Ballon Colic seconds and UL Bowls versus Waterpark, which will tee us off then for our first of the finals. Excellent stuff. Moving along all the time here at the adult competitions and great to see those teams getting some uh, important wins, as you said, and hopefully some silverware at the end of it, as well as the adult competitions, Wendy. The under 14, 16 and 18 competitions are in full swing. And some uh, I was very impressed actually by social media and the rugby clubs are to be commended for this. Not just uh, the ones that I particularly follow, but uh, throughout Munster, it's been very, very refreshing. If you're somebody like a freelance journalist and you're looking for information on different competitions, the I think the health of an organization is it can be gauged by a lot by the social media presence. And yeah, I think they should, they should be complimented on, on the work that mm. they've done. And I think they've upped their game really since Christmas, haven't they? With all the new videos and the new um the new uh, reels that they're putting out in terms of their results, but not only about their results, all about their participation, their coaching, their training, and of course the fun element that they're doing as well after matches. So, um, yeah, so we're getting to see, uh, I suppose, all aspects on and off the pitch from the clubs, which is great to see. Um, we started with the 18s and we worked down, Jar. So we had the league semi-finals. Um, so Ennis Kilrush defeated Ballancolic 24-5, and Carrick Thurlis defeated Killarney 14-12, another very close match. So that final will play on our finals day in Musgrave Park on the 26th of February. Looking at the under-16s, then they were playing their quarterfinals. So Clonakilty Red defeated Carrick Thurlis 27-12. Ballina Killaloo had a draw with Clonakilty Green, but Clonakilty Green scored the first try, so they go through on their regulations. And then uh, Balancholic Dolphin, who have had a very strong season, defeated Canturk 42-12. And just one more to be played next weekend, Shannon um, versus Clarny just didn't get paid this weekend. But um, look, we'll know um, Clannacilty are close to your heart. So I'll just let you know that in the semi-final, that Clannacilty red team are going to be playing that Clannacilty green team. Uh, so, yes, uh, this this is causing a lot of excitement in Clannacilty, I can tell you, and rightly so. Um, but it's great to see so many different clubs. You keep mentioning clubs from all over the province, not just West Cork. Um, as you were you were mentioning there, Balancolic and Lakes Water Park, and then you know Middleton and all these other clubs. It's brilliant that they're still competing at these age grades because these are the future senior players, as you know, Wendy. You want these players coming through and doing well in these competitions. But um, yeah, a lot of excitement even at this early stage of the year in those competitions. Yeah, look, we're only talking about I suppose our you know our fifteen side leagues here. Now that we're talking about, and we also have our development leagues. We might talk about them next week. We do have our development leagues at 14, 16, 18s for those emerging teams, those emerging clubs that are coming through at those age grades as well. Not, not. We mustn't even out the under 14s though, because uh, lots of scores in here. Gary Owen defeated the Mallow Mitchelson um, amalgamation 13 0. Uh, Dunmanway Bantry defeated Shannon 13 0, another one for down your direction. 
Clonakilty, another great win, 42 24 um, over Middleton Yall. And Brough defeated Waterpark 19 uh, sorry, 14. So um, I do know Clonakilty will be facing Brough in that semi final, and Gary Owen will be facing Dunmanway Bantry. So look, lots of West Cork there. That'll keep you happy for, for a little bit. And they'll all be at semi final stages. And then, as I mentioned, all the finals are going to be played on the 26th of February in Mosgrave Park. So we're looking forward to that day out. That's and then we have, to, and we have to add in all the cup fixtures as well before we can... Uh, we're just doing our logs. We're just doing our logs special really at this stage. But I just just on the Bantry Dunmanway again, the West Cork flag flying. Brilliant to see the progression of girls and women's rugby in this part of the of the world. But when you see when you see Dunmanway Bantry mentioned in the same breath as Bruff, a club with a huge, rich rugby heritage as well, that's the thing about Munster women's rugby that you've got the the newcomers and you've got the established clubs all competing at these across all these age groups. And it's brilliant to see so many games going on, especially this time of the year. Yeah, and look, I mean, I mentioned the, the schools last week and you had the Bantry School, which are doing really mm. well. And look, they're doing well in the boys as well. You know what I mean? It's not just the girls. Um, when we talk about that geographical spread and like I keep mentioning it, we've two full-time women's development officers and then participation officers as well. But those two de- women's development officers are covering the length and breadth of Munster. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's a real task for them, I suppose, to get around the country. But look, with the... This, you know the talks that are going on at the moment we're hoping that we will have over double the amount of staff by next September so that right. should go to four women's development officers and four supporting staff then in terms of participation officers so that would just make huge difference to us in terms of growing the game well as like an armchair fan of rugby and somebody that loves reading and watching rugby and specifically women's rugby in the over the last couple of years Wendy I see it on the ground level in West Cork that's where we live that's why I see it um, the, the surge in interest of young girls and minis coming through as well and how the clubs are embracing all of this but it's brilliant you're right if the infrastructure isn't there it's very hard to sustain that because there's a lot going on this time of year there's a lot going on in the summertime for girls and school girls especially but if you can get even more staff in and more kind of coaches and start coaching at the very young age and grab these girls attention you're going to have you're going to keep increasing your numbers I've absolutely no doubt about that I mean, I mean, it's it's a win-win situation. Look at the growth of that schools game. Mm. You know what I mean? In the space of of twelve months, if we just had more resources to get around to all the schools, you know, we could probably double that. I know we spot we speak a lot, I suppose, about the high performance and the development in the high performance. We're going to have these excellent hubs going into each of the provinces now, and lots of discussion about what the way the WAIL league will look at like in the near future. But really, it's what's going on at the grassroots in the clubs you know, with the volunteers and supporting those volunteers that are doing all the work is the most important piece for me. And if you don't have the volunteers and if you don't have the parents and if you don't have the kids at grassroots level, it doesn't matter what you build for high performance, you want the players to fill it. And that's yes. the key. And I think I've seen it with, I've, I've definitely seen it with schoolgirl soccer uh, in Cork and not just West Cork, but in Cork in general, how that has grown. Clubs are growing and more and more clubs are getting involved because the FAI have more and more coaches and people going into schools just like the rugby are doing and it makes a difference and it's going to make a big difference for you in the coming years and long long may it continue yeah it'll be hopefully i'll be watching from the side this will be my no. last year as chair chair no, it isn't so, really. uh, so yeah. i look forward to going enjoying enjoying the matches but um yeah look i you know me i just love to see girls playing any sport um no matter what it is so the more opportunities that we can provide our girls and to continue playing sport in that those drop off years you know what i mean that's a, a, another key area that must be addressed you know that 18 to 21 category um and the enjoyment factor is so important there it certainly is and uh, you've you've recapped a huge amount of uh, games and from under, from WAL right down to under 14 over the past week 
we must mention as well something that we we previously mentioned on the on the first podcast of the of the new season, and that's combined provinces and the importance of the combined provinces and that kind of bridge to the Six Nations. Can you uh, a good win again? Sorry, uh, over the Scottish Thistles. Is it over the weekend? Yeah, Thistles. Yeah, so that's what they've named themselves. Forty-five twelve was the um, was the result there. Um, look, they didn't have a strong opposition against them. You know what I mean? It was a poor match to watch as a spectator. But the most important thing for us is, look, it's it's creating those pathways from your club game that we've just spoken about into a green jerseys. And the more competitions that we have like this, the more girls can be exposed to that high performance level and what's required to, to play in a green jersey. And it also, I suppose, provides opportunities for the coaches and the management staff to see girls playing competitive rugby. So, yes. um and, and, and we still have our monster girls involved, so of course we're delighted. I was just going to wait for the monster plug there, but definitely. But yes, something between uh, the interprovincials and the and the Six Nations definitely was badly needed. And I think this is mightn't be ideal, but it's certainly filling the gap. And it's those players hungry to make a mark and try and get their way onto the international teams and international selection. This is the this is the opportune moment to do it. And the combined provinces are clearly doing well, forty five twelve win over the Scottish Thistles, as we said. So well done to everybody involved there. We finish with news of a, of a dinner uh, tonight in Dublin in the Intercontinental Hotel. Can you tell us more? I suppose it's the monster dinner that they they have around the world now. Um, I suppose, you know, keeping the alumni together. But um, yes, I'm looking forward to going to the dinner tonight. It was a great night out last year. And um, look, our girls will be there. Our our, girl, our Interpro champions um, will be represented. And no doubt they'll be up on the stage, you know what I mean, um, with the Q&A section like they were last year. And I believe New Briggs will be on stage as well. She'll be doing... Um, as one of the guest speakers. So look, that's really important that we have our platforms, you know what I mean, alongside the men and we get that exposure um, and Munster are superb at including us at every level. So here's another example of that kicking on from last year. Well, uh, the only thing left for me to say is to enjoy that evening at the Intercontinental Hotel, uh, Wendy, you and all the Munster representatives and we look for every single detail of uh, once the thing is over and what you get up to afterwards. Will that be okay for next week? That's no problem. I'm sure we'll fill the cup a couple of times. <laughs> I've no doubt that you will. Monster Women's Rugby chairperson as ever, uh, with all the information from around the province, from underage right up to adult. Wendy Keenan, thank you so much for joining us here on the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. Delighted to be here. Thanks a million, Jerry. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m., Cork's Red FM.